The text for Pastor John's message this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter. If you'd like to read along with me in your Bibles, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, look in the pew rack in front of you and uh, pull out one of those. It's located on page 1,444 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. And coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they also were appointed. As I was praying about what we should focus on as a people this morning, I considered the next text in the appointed series in First Peter, wondering whether the Lord might have timed things such that it would be fitting. And as I read this text, I thought, and I believe, it is fitting and it is appointed by the Lord, especially verses 4 and 5. And so I want to focus on this next text in our series in First Peter, whether I'll keep on, I don't know. I'll try to keep my antennas up in the wind of the Spirit and whether or not these are the words we need each week. But this one is, I am sure, not all we need, but it is one of the things we need to hear, namely how to offer spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable to him through Jesus Christ. And that's what this text is about. We'll focus on verses 4 and 5. And if the Lord keeps leading me in the direction I sense now, we will take the rest of this text next week, namely verses 6 and 7 and 8. But first of all, verses 4 and 5, and I'll walk you through six steps by which God is getting for himself sacrifices that are spiritual, that are acceptable to him through Jesus Christ. Okay, six steps that I see in verses four and five. You watch and see if you see them with me. The first one is that God has put a stone in Zion called Jesus, a living stone. Come to him, coming to him, to that living stone. Now, the reason Peter calls Jesus a stone here is simply because he's fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. Several of them, in fact. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, Isaiah 28:16. or the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, Psalm 118:22. So the Old Testament prophets foresaw that there would be a stone put in Zion, a stone over which some people would stumble, 
A stone which some people would believe upon and never be ashamed. We'll talk about that next week. This division of the house because of the stone. But Jesus is the stone. He's raised from the dead. He's no longer rejected by men. Merely he is affirmed by God out of the tomb, installed as the cornerstone and alive. And so he is the living stone. That's step number one in winning spiritual sacrifices from a people. Step number two is that we come to the stone right there at the beginning of verse four. Coming to him as to a living stone, we, the people who have just tasted, verse three, tasted that the kindness of the Lord is great. Now we come to him to eat, to drink the water from the stone. Step three, in coming to the stone, we are coming alive. Verse five, you also as living stones are being built. So the stone is laid. It's first rejected by men. It's raised and made alive. We come to the stone and when we bump into that stone, we live. And now we're living stones. He's a living stone and you as living stones now. So that's step number three. When you come into contact with the living stone, Jesus Christ, you don't remain dead. His life is imparted to those who come to him and are united to him. Step number four. The reason you are shaped into a living stone is so that you could be put in a proper place in the building of a spiritual house. You see that we are being built into a spiritual house. Paul put it this way in First Corinthians three. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? And he's not talking about your bodies there. That's chapter six. This is chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three is about the church corporate in Corinth. Chapter six is about the physical body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. But chapter three says the church at Corinth is a temple and the one who destroys that temple, I will destroy. So what Peter's talking about here is that when you come to the stone, you come alive and Christ, the builder of his church, starts to fit you together so that as a people, we become a spiritual house. In which dwells God. Which is an awesome thing. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. You are being shaped into a household for the dwelling of God by his spirit. Ephesians 2.22. That's step number four. Let me just sum it up now. So you can see these four steps. God puts a stone in Zion. Jesus Christ. Many people reject the stone. He's rejected. He's thrown out on the trash heap of Golgotha. God, however, has a totally different assessment of this stone. Two things. He is chosen choice and he is precious. And God will not suffer him to be defiled or give him up to the pit, as it says in Psalm 16. He raises him up out of that rejection. He makes him the head of the corner. He gives him life forevermore. And now he starts to draw people to him. They come to the stone and they have life. And then a house begins to be built. A spiritual house out of people, not mortar, people. And that house is meant for the dwelling of God. That's step four. Now five. The imagery collapses under the weight of the reality here. (laughs) 
That's the way imagery often does. When you're trying to use an image and carry it through consistently, you've got a house, you've got stones, and stones come alive, and you've got a living house and, and a building, and suddenly, boom, we're a priesthood. <laughs> how, can, how can these walls and these stones that are fitting into a house be the priesthood which is in the house offering the sacrifices? And the fact is, under the weight of the glory of the reality, the imagery collapses. It happens all the time. In poetry and in the Psalms, you read the Psalms and you're skipping all around. Because what God is doing among us is vastly greater than you can contain in one metaphor or one image. So you've got to go all over the Bible looking for images of the church. And here they're kind of squished together. And so the step number five is this house that is being built is for a holy priesthood. Now this is real important. Because a lot of people at Bethlehem come from traditions, Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopalian, where the word priest is what I do, not what you do. And that's not New Testament priesthood. That's Old Testament priesthood. I never refer to myself as the priest of Bethlehem. Never do any of you call me priest. Unless you're brand new here and you don't know what's going on and somebody asks you at work, uh, what was it like to go to that Baptist church? And they said, well, the priest was kind of loud or something like that. But, but, but once you're around a while and you catch on, you don't call me that anymore. Why? Because if you're a Christian, you're that. You are built into a spiritual house and you are a priesthood. Verse 9. You see verse 9 down there? You are a chosen race and a what? Royal priesthood. That's you. It's not me. Um, Greg Dernberger goes to read at his kids' classes in Surview School sometimes, and he told me that when he was introduced a few months ago as a pastor, the teacher said, you can correct this if I'm wrong, Greg. The teacher said, uh, how many know what a pastor is? And did you tell me three kids raised their hand? Two. Two kids out of how many? Twenty-five? Roughly. Twenty-five. Two kids in Shoreview, America, U.S. of A., knew what a pastor was in the third grade. Was it third grade? What grade? Now, I've been thinking about this, Greg, ever since you told me. My first reaction was, Pagan city. My second reaction is maybe a bunch of those kids are in traditions where they just don't call him pastor. Maybe that's part of the solution. They call him priest or father or, or whatever. And I just highlight that because I want you to catch on to the fact that one of the precious teachings of the Baptist tradition which I love, without rejecting others, is the priesthood of the believer. That phrase, I hope, becomes fixed in your mind and your heart because it is your great calling as the congregation of this church, the priesthood of all believers. I am not the priest of Bethlehem. You and I are the holy priesthood in the house called Bethlehem, made up of human beings who are Christ's. And that's step number five. You are a holy 
priesthood. All the people who are Christ's are priests. Now, the, the reason you're called that is because in the Old Testament, you had a tent of meeting, the tabernacle, you had an altar, and you had priests, and you had people, and you had sacrifices, and all that stuff is in this text. And it's all reinterpreted in spiritual terms. We're the house, we're the priesthood, and we're going to offer spiritual sacrifices in a minute, and the altar... Well, Jesus is called the altar in 1 Corinthians 5. Our Passover lamb is Jesus. So you don't, you don't now decide to come to church and offer me your sacrifice and I then, with my appropriate golden and beautiful robes, walk into a, a tabernacle. Are you reading through the Bible in Exodus these days? I wonder how many of you have seriously read the description of that tabernacle. That's not easy reading. But... But one of the effects it has is to show the contrast with what we have. I don't go in there bearing all that burden. You go in there, right here, in this assembly, every Sunday morning. And we'll see before we're done every day of the week. You are the priest. Step number six, this is the last step. All of that, all those five steps are leading up to the offering of spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think the whole book is leading towards this. The offering of spiritual sacrifices. We'll come back to what they are in just a minute. But let me take the phrase at the end of verse five. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I want to give Jesus Christ his due now. It is only through Jesus Christ that anything you do with your lips or your hands or your legs, only what is done through Jesus is acceptable to God. Now, how is that? Well, just go back to the beginning of the verse. Verse 4. He was laid as a stone in Zion, rejected by men, but in God's sight, precious. He was uh, crucified. For our sins and raised from the dead that we might have eternal life. And we, we start to draw to Him. And without that stone, there would be no sacrifice for sin. There would be no hope of life. There would be no coming to Him. There would be no living stones. There would be no spiritual house. There would be no holy priesthood. And there would be no sacrifices offered to God. Everything is owing to Jesus. And He is precious. You see that in verse 7? To you who believe, He's precious. Now I hope you feel this morning a preciousness for Jesus. I hope your hearts say right now, I love Jesus Christ more than the people on either side of me, more than my cherished loved ones not here, more than my home, more than my health, more than my job, more than my future. I love Jesus because without Jesus, I'd have nothing. No hope. No forgiveness, no cleansing, no future, no joy, only darkness and wrath against a holy God forever and ever. Jesus is precious not only to God, but to us. Through Jesus Christ, our sacrifices become acceptable. Now, I was thinking about this in relation to Ramadan, which is happening and I've seen Muslims in my neighborhood bowing down, ironically, to the north. Why do you think they bow down to the north? Somebody suggested to me it's shorter 
to Mecca over the North Pole. That didn't occur to me. It takes seriously what they're doing here. Get, get themselves in the right direction towards Mecca. I've been thinking about that worship happening in my neighborhood and all over the world. Tribes of people and religions and, and uh, secularists and atheists. Most of those people, minus the atheists, believe there's a God. Most of them feel a desperation to be acceptable to that God so they're not attacked by that God and crushed and judged by that God. Most people who believe that there's a God want to be on His side and not get on the wrong side of Him. And late at night, when their conscience torments them about all the things they know they've done wrong, let alone what He knows they've done wrong, they want to get right with Him. And oh, the strategies. Do a little more good deeds. Have a ceremony. Have a ritual. Deny yourself. Do a fast. Let me be acceptable. And they don't work. Because this text says at the end of verse 5, only what is acceptable through Jesus Christ. Romans fifteen eighteen, Paul says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Nothing. If I've written anything, he says, that's of any value, people. If I've suffered anything for the name of Jesus, if I've preached with any truth and power, if I've led people to God at all, I won't speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me. Through Christ do we offer sacrifices acceptable to God. And without Christ, nothing is acceptable to God. We're only sinners under the wrath of the Lord. So he's precious and his preciousness is that through him we know God, through him we come to God, through him we experience God, through him we are what God wants us to be. Now, let me go backward. Those are the six steps. Let me go backward through one or two of them and apply them to our present situation here at Bethlehem. What are spiritual sacrifices? Everything in this text is leading up to the end of verse 5 so that we would offer spiritual sacrifices. The stone is laid. We come to Him. We come alive. We're built into the house. We become a holy priesthood. Why? All of it so that we can offer these things, these spiritual sacrifices. Now, what are they? Romans 12.1 says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, I think what that means is, Everything you do with your body, hands, arms, cheeks, lips, tongue, one of the most important, legs, feet, everything you do with your body is to be done as worship. A spiritual service of worship as you offer your body up daily to the Lord. As you make, as Paul says, your members instruments of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do with this body, do everything, finish it. Tell me. To the glory of God. That means everything you do, from eating orange juice, drinking orange juice, eating bagels, you do as worship. 
to the glory of God. Because you're a priesthood. You're a holy priesthood. And you don't get holy just on Sunday morning. If that's the way you try to do your holiness, you don't have any. A holy priesthood is a holy priesthood all the time. And everything a holy priesthood does, they offer up to the Lord in worship. Let me give you a couple of examples from other places in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 15 says, continually offer up, continually offer up, talking to the church now, the holy priesthood, offer up sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to God. So one of the sacrifices acceptable to God is the fruit of lips that give thanks to him. And you do that every day. You thank the Lord. You fill your mouth with thanksgiving to the Lord. And that's a sacrifice. Here's another example from Philippians 4.18. Paul is, is where he is. I can't remember where he is when he writes this, but he's been at Philippi. And uh, he says, I received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now picture this. Here he is. Where is he? Down in... Athens or Corinth and and uh, or Rome. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He's in Rome. That's right. And and Epaphroditus comes to him horizontally. He comes horizontally across the land or sea and he's bringing money so that he'll be supported from this church that loves him. And when he gets it, he says, I thank God for the sweet aroma and sacrifice that was acceptable to God. And so this horizontal gift of money was really a vertical sacrifice, acceptable and smelling sweet in heaven. So a second answer is not just words of thanks, not just songs of praise, but deeds of love at the horizontal level, acts of kindness and sharing. It really hit me in the first service. I hadn't thought about it until I was preaching that that moment of taking up an offering in which we say with our money, We want the kingdom to be advanced. We want people to hear about the treasure of Christ. We want this ministry to be supported in advance. We want this city to feel the impact. That is a sweet-smelling aroma, according to Philippians 4.18. A sweet-smelling aroma to God and a sacrifice spiritual and acceptable to Him, which means it belongs in worship. You know, sometimes we reflect, should we take an offering in worship or put a box at the back? That text, to me, gives one of the clearest warrants of why that moment, those three minutes, may be one of the sweetest smelling moments in our worship. Because every priest at that moment has a chance to do something very concrete by way of offering out of your life to God along the lines of Philippians 4.18. And the Lord looks down. He knows exactly the heart that is behind the gift. And whether it's a penny, which often he says is more important than a thousand dollars, or whether it's a big amount, that act can be very sweet to him, bring pleasure into his presence. One last text of illustration, Hebrews thirteen sixteen. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So that's just another example. So what are spiritual sacrifices that we offer acceptable to God through Jesus? They're anything that you do with your body, with your mind, spoken, sung, acted, 
for the glory of the Lord that are spiritual. Well, what does that mean? What is a spiritual act? What is spiritual preaching? Spiritual piano playing? Spiritual flute playing? Spiritual Bible reading? Spiritual pastoral praying? Spiritual listening right now? What is that word? What does that mean? Are you doing it that way? Am I right now preaching spiritually? Did Mike play spiritually? Did John read the text spiritually? What is that? Because this text says everything hangs on that. The stone is laid. Life is given. The house is built. The priesthood established. That you may offer not just any old sacrifices to the Lord, but spiritual sacrifices. Now, what are they? What is that? What to those things spoken and those things done, what makes them spiritual? Here's my answer. They become spiritual when they are done in reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit, in accordance with the will of the Holy Spirit revealed in Holy Scripture, and with a view to bringing about the glory of the manifestation of the Spirit, Christ. Rooted in the Spirit, getting strength, enabling up from Him, shaped and done in a way that the Spirit wills, and all for the glory of Christ, who is the Spirit. I think that's a word for us right now in worship at Bethlehem. Strong word. Cautioning word, a warning word, a beckoning word, an inspiring word, a hope-giving word. Are the sacrifices of our singing born in the power of the Holy Spirit, carried by the will of the Spirit for the glory of Christ who is the Spirit? Is my preaching done in the power of the Spirit, crafted and shaped in its content and its demeanor by the Spirit and His will through His Word and for the glory of Christ who is the Spirit? Do the instrumentalists and all the musicians here do what they do in reliance upon the Holy Spirit? And do they do it in a way that is resting in and shaped by, in and outside, the will of the Holy Spirit? And is it all done for the glory of Christ who is the Spirit? That's the most important question for Bethlehem to ask right now. And do you sit there looking at me in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you listen by the will of the Spirit? Are you listening right now for the glory of the Spirit with rising senses in your heart? Oh God, get glory in my life through this 30 minutes of listening and those 30 minutes of coming before you in music and song and prayer. Or do you listen in the flesh? Do you go into neutral coast and then wake up at the end of the service and go back to watch more skating. If it's spiritual, the Lord will receive it and He will be pleased. And if it's not spiritual, He will not receive it. Everything hangs on 
through Christ, who is the Spirit, through Christ, from Him, through Him, and to Him be the glory forever and ever. Just moving back a couple of more steps here. That only happens from a holy priesthood. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and you must be holy. The Lord does not receive worship from an unholy priesthood. And therefore, if you come on Sunday morning, I prayed, this, I prayed for you all this morning about five o'clock. I said, Lord, please don't let them immerse themselves in that big, fat newspaper. Please don't let them turn on secular television and just immerse themselves. Please, Lord, cause them to sit down and read the scriptures and uh, become holy. I can't pull this off by two or three hours of prayer on Sunday morning if everybody else has their feet solidly sunk in the muck of secularism, just showing up here and hoping that I might make it happen. I want you to get up Sunday morning, whenever you get up, and go to God. Let me just bring it to a conclusion right there. That is the last step I want to focus on. In chapter 2, verse 4, if you come to the bottom line how-to this morning and say, Oh, you've said a lot of big things, you know. You said a lot about coming to life. You said a lot about becoming a house for God's presence. You said a lot about... Uh, becoming a holy priesthood. You said a lot about these sacrifices that are be spiritual. What about the bottom line, rubber meets the road, practical how-to? And the answer to that in this text is given at the beginning of verse 4 where it says, coming to Him, you are being built. Coming to Him, you are being built. How do you get built into a corporate household in which God moves with power? You know, all of you who are Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And all by yourself you can have marvelous fellowship with God. But this text is teaching us, as do many others in the Bible, that when the body comes together as a house built by Jesus, there is a place for a habitation of God there that is unique. It's different. God has things to reveal of Himself, joys to give of Himself, insights, experiences of Himself in a corporate gathering that you will never have by yourself. Never. And He wants you to come ready to be a part of that. Uh, that spiritual house as a living stone, ready on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and in your small groups and other times that we worship, ready to be built into that house. And God plans to move into that house, the tabernacle, when it's ready for Him as holy and spiritual. And how do you get ready for that? Coming to Him, you are being built. Go back to verse 3 as we close. Verse 3 from three weeks ago says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And that's an incentive in two directions. Verse 2 and verse 4. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Have you tasted that He is good? Have you caught on at the deep spiritual taste bud level? Oh, Lord, You're good. Oh, Lord, You're kind. I love Your power, Your justice, Your wisdom, Your goodness, Your truth. You are food to my soul. And if so then there are incentives moving in two directions. One, verse two, therefore long 
for him like a baby longs for milk, long for his word. And in the other direction, verse four, come to him, to that living stone. You see the the connection between verse three moving in both directions. If you've tasted, long for him. If you've tasted, come to him. And that's the how to folks. And the answer is. This is where he meets you. This is where he meets you. You come to him by opening this book and reading, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever to all generations. And you stop and you say, thank you. Thank you for your loving kindness. There would be no hope without it. And you just move on. And he comes to you and he speaks to you and you speak back to him and he cleanses you and he helps you. Please, please get up Sunday morning and come to Jesus. Before you come here and what God might be pleased to do if we come as living stones into this room and are built into a spiritual house for a dwelling of the Lord and a holy priesthood, the sacrifices we might offer to him and the gifts he may bestow upon us and the revelation of his glory he might be pleased to give us who could predict. I want to sing a song with you. It's a song in which you're given the opportunity now, having heard his beckoning to come, to say, we're coming. Thank you for your invitation. And it's found on page 506 in your hymnal. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come. And we say, we come. Would you stand with me as we sing? Corporately say, you are our light, our sun, our star. You are everything to us. Grant us to walk in your light now, to be filled with your spirit, to have your glory resting upon us, to be a holy priesthood and a spiritual house, and all week long to come to you and to offer you spiritual sacrifices acceptable in your name. And all the people said, Amen.